Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez here. And I'm really thankful you dialed in again. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Dele Atanda. He is a serial entrepreneur and acclaimed digital visionary. He's the CEO of MetaMe, the world's first self-sovereign AI and universal smart data marketplace. That's right. A founder of the Internet Foundation, an NGO dedicated to advancing the ethical use of data in commerce while establishing digital rights as an extension of human rights. Atanda is a celebrated innovator, having led digital innovations for FTSE 10 and Fortune 100 companies that have become the gold standard for digital engagement within their sectors. Prior to Metami, he led IBM's automotive, aerospace, and defense sector as the chief digital innovation officer. We're going to be diving into some amazing thoughts around data ownership, sovereignty, privacy issues, and what we could do in healthcare to leverage data to make the moves that are going to make healthcare better and improve business success. He's been a pioneering voice on the emergence of Web 3.0 technologies notably with his critically acclaimed book, The Digitarian Tsunami, Web 3.0 and the Rise of the NEO Citizen, published in 2013. He's an avid advocate of the potential of decentralized technologies to advance humanity where positively and dramatically transforming society. I'm excited about today, Dele, and I'm so glad that we made this work. Uh, Thanks for being on here. Thank you for having me, Saul. Very great. Very excited to be here. So Dele, you got to tell me, man, I mean, you're getting into AI and data pretty deep and, and you know, we're going to focus on healthcare today, but what inspires your work in healthcare? Yeah. So I guess the first thing is that we've essentially come to the realization that data has become currency and it's a currency that's become hugely valuable. No surprises, nothing new in that, but Certainly, we can see um, there's a really interesting thing happening in health, particularly at the moment, is that you've got this confluence of information technology and biotechnology. And it's not insignificant that we've been sequencing the genotype for a few years now. And so we're developing this really rich data base and information base around the very building blocks of life. On the same to- by the same token, our information technologies in society as a whole are moving at exponential pace. So the coming together of these two areas of bioinformatics and um, information technology creates a plateau, a platform for a transformation, a real sort of quantum leap in terms of health and medicine going forward. It really does. And you start seeing things like Google buying Fitbit and you know many others and it makes you really take a second look at data and what that means in healthcare and and what kind of plays will be made how are you and in, in your business adding value to the healthcare ecosystem yeah so i mean great question so i think when you look at the industry as a whole 
data as an industry, in a sense, the most valuable types of data are generally financial and health data. Mm-hmm. And in fact, health data is twice as likely to be hacked as any other form of data. So I think it's really obvious why a lot of the data aggregators out there are really trying to pull a lot of data into the, into their operating model to be able to drive better predictive uh, futures, which is essentially what their business is. Now, for us, though, I think we approach data from a different perspective. So we come from this decentralized perspective around how can we enable sensitive health and well-being data to be shared between users in between different stakeholders in a, in a very confidential way, in a confidential and a privacy-preserving way, in a way that gives agency to the individual primarily. And that, for us, is really the fundamental piece. As we've grown over the years, we've in, started to look at things from multiple stakeholder perspectives. But fundamentally, we start from the perspective of the data owner is the primary. And so if you give sovereignty and control to the data owner, then you can effectively start to have a data exchange value proposition that is much more fair and equitable on one hand, but also that leads to much better quality of data, which ultimately leads to much better outcomes. So we think that this is really the fundamental value proposition that we bring to the to the industry and to the ecosystem is this ability to bring a higher grade of quality of information into the ecosystem and a better framework for managing the sharing and utilization of that information. Yeah, very interesting. And you think about data quality and the cleanliness of data, that's crucial, right, to any any engine that that's processing the data. If you had to share in an elevator who you help and how you help, what would you say that is? So really, we really focus on three stakeholders in, mm-hmm. in the health space. We focus on individuals. So specifically, actually, we're focused on employee well-being. Okay. So we focus on employees um, in organizations and um, then the organizations themselves by way of the HR departments and then healthcare service providers. So these are the three sort of stakeholders that we focus on. And what we focus on is how we enable data to be shared between these three stakeholders in a way that can lead to better outcomes for employees. And and I can talk specifically about the, the specific outcomes that we're focused on, but also better outcomes for the employer and better outcomes for the service providers through management of data sharing effectively. Very interesting. Uh, appreciate you you uh, honing in on that. So you've created a platform, and I'd love to hear what is it that that makes the the MetaMe platform different, and and how is it improving outcomes and making business better? Yeah. So I mean, what it really comes down to are three things. So one, this idea of sovereignty, which is the principle that the data owner or that the person who the data is about effectively is the data owner. So data as a property is like the foundational principle. And whether that's an enterprise in the context where the enterprise has their data and they own it, or whether it's an individual, specifically in the case of an 
in this case, an employee, they own the data. So that's the kind of first principle. Okay. But the second two principles are where it gets really interested. So the interesting rather, the, the first is this idea of trusted data. So you spoke about clean data and, you know, that's something that the industry, the data industry has been looking at for a while now in terms of accuracy and deduplication and, and that sort of thing. But there's a new concept of clean data. And actually, we've been a pioneer of this, this framework. We, um, it's often touted that data is the oil of the 21st century. And we coined the term clean data in the context of consented data, in the context of if data is the oil of the 21st century, then we need a clean data ecosystem analogous to clean energy. And while on one hand, a lot of the data practices that have been happening in the past have been like oil, very extractive, very externalized, very much sort of exploitative, one would have to say in many regards, um, against necessarily the data owners today who are the individuals who own these. And this is the same whether it's enterprises or individuals in that sense. And one of the big challenges with that is that the quality of the information that we've been able to get from the systems that we have, from these digital systems particularly, has not always been accurate or has not always been great. And one of the big challenges we have today with data is that the only real metric we have around data is based on size, but there are much more important things around veracity, sensitivity, identifiability within data sets that as we move to a more 5G and broadband digital uh, reality, then those factors become more important than size. So uh, that's, that's the ability to be able to have data that we can rely on, um, mm-hmm. signal integrity that, is, that we can make, that we can be confident about when we're making our computations is a, is a really important factor. And that's the first factor that we introduced. And then the third factor is this idea of trustless data sharing. And this really talks... Tr- trustless? Yes, exactly. And it's a bit of a confusing term in the sense, but one that's popular in the blockchain industry. Usually it's used in the blockchain industry to talk about not needing to have an intermediary between when transactions are being done, when things are being exchanged. And that's relevant, but less relevant in, I think, in the health industry. What's more important is the issues around privacy and confidentiality of information. So what our trustless data model enables us to do is it enables us as data owners, whether that's an an enterprise or an individual, to be able to share data in a way that we don't have to trust the party that we're sharing the data with because we're able to encode our information with rules that are enforced on our behalf by the information itself. So this it becomes is, like, I mean, like it just uh, built in transparency. It, it is transparency. That's one factor. So there's, there are policies that are, that are very clear uh, up front in terms of who can do what with the information. But it goes beyond that. It also is enforced. It's so immutably enforced rules because 
the, the oh, blockchain okay. network enables us to effectively make immune, you know, executable programs, programs that can't be stopped effectively. That means that we can actually encode this these policies with rules that cannot be circumvented from happening. So it goes beyond transparency to actual implementation and enforcement of rules. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, no, I appreciate you walking us through that. And it would be really interesting to hear some some cases, you know, like and some applications of this. Do you, do you have some that you, you can share? Do you like to share? Yeah, absolutely. So we're working on a specific um, pilot now with IBM whereby we ran some workshops and we got a group of employees, um, HR personnel and service providers to look at the issues associated with all of them. But essentially what we're doing is we're enabling employees to share data, which is emails over a period of three to six months or social media posts. And we then run these, this data through an analytics engine that we use to do a couple of things. The first thing we do is identify a personality archetype for each employee. And from that archetype, we then do a benchmark in terms of assessing the employee's mood over a period of time against other archetypes that are similar. So effectively, we start to be able to assess mood levels and stress levels effectively based on archetype and um, emails and posts that have been made. And then the third part then is that if an employee is then indexing high in terms of having high levels of stress, then we can then make recommendations on stress management interventions that they can take up to reduce that stress or to manage that stress in a more healthy manner. The most important thing here is confidentiality because what we found when we ran this workshop in, when we first started the process and started designing the pilot, what we found was that data was key to optimizing the performance of all three stakeholder groups. When we looked at the most important stakeholder, though, in terms of getting data in end process was the employee. And when we looked at what employees were most wanted and were most concerned about, on one hand, they were most concerned about confidentiality and privacy and sharing data about their well-being with the employer. And they were more comfortable with sharing information with a service provider than with the employer, which was seemed a bit strange, really, but it's understandable. But the other thing that they were really wanted was to be able to curate all the, to, to have some sort of like white glove concierge type service that could make specific recommendations to them based on what they needed rather than having to trawl their way through complex, you know, benefits programs that, you know, had different sort of things that they didn't really understand. So, but the barrier to that obviously was this privacy and confidentiality. So being able to manage what our system does and what our application and protocol does, it ensures that the employee is able to share this information with a service provider should they wish with full controls, consent, and agency around that. But even when they're sharing that, they can share it either in a semi-anonymous manner 
or in an identifiable manner or even in an anonymous manner, depending on the nature of the engagement they're having. But most importantly, the enterprise only gets visibility of the macro, so aggregated anonymized data sets that they can use to then assess the the performance of particular service providers or the take-up of particular services accordingly. Fascinating. And as an employer listening to this, you're probably thinking, huh, like this is interesting. I, I've got a company. I, I've got several thousand employees. I pay for their insurance. Hmm, this is kind of interesting. And, and so for the people thinking that, thinking, wow, this might be a good way for me to empower my employees, but hey, you know, and take care of them better at the same time, uh, f- uh, a great way to identify things before they happen, curb costs. What are your thoughts around uh, somebody thinking that? That's exactly the issue. I mean, it's, it, it, and we see with mental health issues, particularly, they become more expensive to deal with the more developed they are. And, and they're much more if the preventative measures or intervening at early stages where early indicators uh, surface can result in dramatic turnarounds and improvements in people's general mental health states. So that is exactly the opportunity, the ability to be able to intervene earlier and get better outcomes to people who need it. But that also being able to match well-being programs with employees' needs, because that's one of the crises that employers face as well, is that they go to a lot of trouble to develop these health programs based on problems that are either identified in their population or that are generally statistically evident across multiple organizations. So it make, most organizations will have employees who have health, mental health issues, for example, and they'll bring these programs on board, but they don't get the uptake of these programs that they estimate or that they project. And that's a frustration for them, which ultimately results in less productivity for the organization, but less well-being and less happiness and less all-round contentment, both for the employees and for the HR personnel as well. Mm-hmm. So I think this is exactly the, the opportunity that we're seeking to address with this. And of course, that can be played out across broader issues than mental health to a complete portfolio of health and well-being um, services. Yeah, it's neat. And uh, one of the things that's hard is that the environment is noisy. How do you cut through that noise? Yeah, I think, you know, this is that's a really interesting question. You know, one of the things, I think the way to cut through the noise is we have this idea of, we call it kinetic data sharing. Mm-hmm. And this is the idea that you, first of all, from a security and privacy perspective, we design our processes so that the minimum information needed to achieve a task is what is shared at the time. So that kind of private by design, it's this principle of data minimization. Mm -hmm. But the thing that also comes along with that is that you can have a very progressive user experience model whereby you're just surfacing the information that people need when they need it at the point where they need it. And whether that's their state of, you know, indexing high in terms of stress levels and maybe now would be a good time to do something about that or if it's something even much more complicated than that in terms of for example selecting their insurance cover plan 
for example, whereby there's more information that they need to go through, etc. But I think this whole idea of giving them information, collecting the information that's needed, the, the minimum information that's needed at, at, when a task needs to be done, and then providing the right type of insight or feedback or result from that information in the moment is really how you kind of you start to cut through the noise by being very honed and very precise in terms of the insight that you're giving the employees, which can lead to much more dramatic impacts we, we see. Yeah, that's very interesting. Appreciate you uh, elaborating there. And Dele, so are these conversations, so I, I, I'm envisioning, you know, email exchange, text exchange that becomes the source of the data. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, we make it very simple within our framework. Essentially, as a person signs up to the service, they'll basically connect their email service, whether that's Gmail. And again, it could be external emails or internal emails. That depends on the organization and what their policies are around that sort of thing. And then uh, social media, again, that could be that would be external or even it could be internal intranets and the like as well Hmm. Um, so those are basically connected through apis into the service and then all works in the background really we want to the objective is not to put a heavy cognitive load on people but just to give them something that is relatively light and low touch in terms of them being able to understand and get those insights back so you know, they get a personality insight back, which is a fun thing to understand, you know, what kind of, you know, are you an adventurer, are you a researcher, etc. That kind of insight is helpful. And then we start to just basically go a little bit deeper, bit by bit in terms of insights around that. But the collection process is very straightforward. It's basically like, it's like connecting using Facebook Connect or Google Connect to connect as you would do signing in using those as social sign-in services. A simple integration. Very simple. Very cool. And then as the user, just kind of trying to, to capture the user experience, I'm sure I'm, some of the listeners are probably thinking about this too. So then where do you receive the insights? Do you get emails? Is it a dashboard? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an app, which is like a dashboard effectively. So cool. it's a micro app effectively. So yeah, you'll get this. And that's one of the things we're working through now. What's the best way to surface these insights? Yeah. And and again, you can get hyper-personalized about this because some types of interfaces will work better for some people than others. So again, we can customize all of that. But in the short term, we're looking at what are the kind of gen- general ways to present these insights. For example, if we look at stress, so we'll provide a graph which matches the individual, the user's stress levels against the archetype where they can see a benchmark. But then you, we might be able, we might surface things like, oh, you had X number of meetings this week, or you wrote X number of emails or responded to. So you can start to make some correlations between these stress levels or, or whatever, you know, and the activities that the user was doing um, over the time period. Very cool. Now, I appreciate you going deep here with me because I you know, really wanted to get a sense of how the technology worked and, and you did a nice job. So I appreciate you, you walking you. me through it. What are you most proud of in the work that you've done, whether it be you know, at MetaMe or, or in the other amazing things you've done in your career? So I think um, actually something quite recent, uh, 
with the Internet Foundation, we started with these two mandates, as you, you very, very kindly introduced me with. One was this Universal Declaration of Digital Rights as an Extension of Human Rights. But the second was this ethical data standard working around crafting a framework for how companies should use data in a responsible and sustainable manner. And um, we've been working as part of a small team with the British Standard Institute for the last almost two years now, a year and a half, almost two years, on creating a big data standard for data-intensive organizations, which is includes an ethical data standard as part of that. And uh, actually, we were, went into public consultation on the 1st of August, and we completed that on the 31st of October. And we just had our, la- our final review meeting as a team, reviewing the public feedback from that. So this will be published as a standard at the beginning of next year, which is really a framework which will evolve the next year. It's the first step of it becoming an ISO standard, which gives us a real benchmark around what does good behavior look like in Mm. terms of ethical data practices on one hand so that's really i mean we were part of the groups that um petitioned and drove for gdpr in europe which was obviously a massive success for the industry as a whole but um this goes even beyond that in terms of data ownership and data um, value realization and um, having it codified in a standard is a huge achievement upon which we can then start to build technology around those principles and standards. So I think that's perhaps one of the things I'm most proud of in terms of achievements. Congratulations. That's uh, no easy task. <laughs> I dare say. I'm, I'm inclined. To, I, I have to agree with you. It wasn't easy. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, we've crossed the first major hurdle with that now. That's brilliant. What would you say is one of the biggest setbacks you've had, Dele? And uh, what, what was the key learning? So, you know, I've been obsessed with data for like over a decade now and um, looked at it from b- both a regulatory perspective, from an ethical perspective, from an economic perspective, and from a technical perspective. And we mm-hmm. developed this very comprehensive framework, which I'm pretty confident in saying it's probably the most you know most secure most advanced most comprehensive framework for managing data particularly proprietary or personal data in the world Mm -hmm. but being able to communicate that and and get traction around that and and distill that complex and abstract subject into something that's very consumable has been really difficult Mm -hmm. and um, it represents a sea change in the way that data is used and you know the public sentiment is definitely catching up and moving up towards it but um, I think distilling that complexity down into something that people could understand both from an investor perspective but also from an end user perspective has been one of the biggest challenges and setbacks for me in this space. And so what would you say is the key learning out of that? I think there's, there's what I've learned, and very recently, I dare say, is that got to separate the technology from the business. And on one hand, you That's know... That's well said, the, by the way. <laughs> thank you thank you it's a real it's you know it's a, it's a, something that's been learned for many years of strife and pace <laughs> you know it. it's a true true insight but yeah you know i think technologists we get very excited about the technology and technology is 
when you look at technology as well, I think the, the horizon for change is very different from when you look at business and applications. And I think that's one of the great things that I've learned about it, that technology, if you're trying to commercialize or get adoption for technology, you know, they say the, the famous adage is that, you know, progress is really slow in technology until it isn't. Mm-hmm. And so it's a real uphill struggle. But I think if you can separate and simplify the technology into a use case, into something that people can understand and that solves a real problem and need and isolate that, then that becomes a much more easy sell on one hand. But it also is, it becomes less about the technology then. It becomes more about the business and the business opportunity. So you actually have a much more clearer perspective on how to go about commercializing that. Love it. If you could have lunch with anyone, Dele, who would it be? Yeah, I thought about this for a while. I think um, I'd have to say it would probably be Satoshi Nakamoto, the mysterious oh, inventor of Bitcoin, Bitcoin and, yeah, and, yeah. and blockchain, but essentially blockchain and Bitcoin. And yeah, that would be who, you know, it's uh, it's That would be an interesting lunch. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, if you score that, let me know. I'd love to come. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can imagine I could sell tickets for that pretty highly. <laughs> hey, you, you've probably already had lunch with them. You don't even realize it. That's <laughs> <laughs> a nice thought. That's very interesting. Love that. What are you most excited about today? Uh, you know, actually, I mean, having been in this space for a decade, I'm really excited about the new data revolution, the new data economy that's dawning. There's such a prolific rise in awareness and in, an intelligent conversation around data as a resource type now, both with patients, consumers, enterprises, and regulators, really across the board. I, I, I said to people, I say to people quite often, if you'd asked me at the beginning of this year, if I thought by mid-year, it would be possible that you'd have three of the largest tech companies in the world um, competing on privacy, you know, Facebook, Apple, and Google all competing on, at least in terms of the narrative, in terms of who's most private, I would have said not possible. That's probably three to five years away. But I think that it's changing rapidly. And, um, you know, we're hearing different regulators call out, I think, the California Privacy Protection Act is is really interesting even like senator josh howley's call yesterday for you know transparency and ownership you know the data dividend bills that are coming around all of these regulatory bills coming across the houses to really change the data economy and the data paradigm is phenomenally exciting because i think you know this is the thing we need to get right mm -hmm. in order to really unlock the potential and value of the internet as the and the and the digital economy that's really starting that's still in somewhat nascent form but really starting to lead the world fascinating and what what would you say is the best advice you've ever received so i think um that i suppose the advice the best advice i've received which is advice that i struggle with a lot all the same i have to say is this simplification, simplify everything, get down to try and simplify yourself into a single 
a single strand. I, it's it's a work in progress for me because you know I have a lot of things going on, but I go through this rigorous exercise of constantly trying to simplify my message, simplify what I'm doing, simplify the interface, simplify the engagement around what you do. That's probably That's great advice. You're like the data sommelier. <laughs> I like that. That's a great term. I agree. So when yeah. you're a sommelier, it's hard, right? Like you're just yeah. like, you, you know, the tannins, you know, the notes, you know, the region, but sometimes you just got to tell people it's a Cabernet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's fruity and it tastes great with fish. <laughs> oh man. I love it. No, that's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great takeaway and something that all of us need to be thinking about. Because when it comes down to our expertise, our area of expertise, on a scale of one to 10, we're pretty high up there. You know, let's call us a 10, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Customers are not there. And, and Dele's point here is a really good one to keep in mind if we're going to be successful. What's your number one health habit? Meditation, I'd say. I try and meditate every day, at least half good an hour point. a day. Um, and I find that just, gives me a clarity of mind, a clarity of perspective, enables me to manage my day much more effectively. So I, I'd say that's my number one health habit here. That's great, Della. Thanks for the reminder. I kind of fell off the bandwagon. It's easy to do, right? It's <laughs> easy to do, you know, but you kind of just, you know, be gentle with yourself, kind to yourself and just come back and every time you do it it's easier and mm -hmm. you know it's not yeah i think i've learned to be a little bit you know not to beat myself up too much if i do miss it Good because point. you know life gets in the way sometimes but you know you build up a stock and you build up a reserve the more you meditate so you can kind of build up your bank accordingly no that's great it's a great habit and a great reminder for all of us Della, the work you're doing is is impressive really uh, have enjoyed taking this, this journey with you on, on how you add value to the ecosystem, the platform you've developed to, to help empower individuals and their data, but also employers and, and caregivers to, to maximize outcomes. Leave us with a closing thought and the best place where the listeners could continue the conversation with you. Oh, absolutely. So in terms of best place, you can either conversation-wise, Telegram we use is probably our most active channel for ongoing engagement. Um, I use LinkedIn quite a lot as well, so I can be found there. Um, or you can just go to metame.com and we have contacts or info at metame.com as well or, uh, is, is a way to reach us um, directly. In terms of closing thoughts, yeah, I think that Data as, and, and health data particularly is becoming one of the most valuable resources known to man. We talk about health is wealth and mm -hmm. the correlation of health data and wealth in that space is becoming increasingly tangible and material. And I think that we're on the cusp of a new era. And, you know, I, you mentioned my book earlier about the digitarian tsunami, which was really looking at the draw, how the internet is changing the world. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that we're on the cusp of this new post-industrial revolution. This digital revolution is going to be as significant, perhaps even more significant than the digital revolution, perhaps as significant as the cognitive revolution where we became conscious beings. But um, 
we're at a crossroad. And I think that we spoke earlier, consumers, you know, we're at a savant or um, sage or expert level in terms of our understanding of it. And most consumers are not. So that means that enterprises and organizations and, and regulators are going to have to take the lead in terms of how we shape this new economy and making sure that we shape it from an ethical perspective in a way that leads us to this better future as opposed to a potentially dystopic future, which you know we've all heard about. There's lots of headlines around that. So I think that's, you know, my closing thought is that, you know, particularly to the enterprises, the service providers and the payers out there, let's work towards creating a data economy that favors all that can lead to better innovation, better well health and well-being outcomes and a much more value orientated ecosystem than we have today. What a great call to action. Lots to think about here. Hit the rewind button. That's the beauty of podcasts. You could re-listen to this. Della, I just want to say thank you so much. You've given me a lot to think about and uh, really appreciate all the things that you've shared. And uh, again, folks, I want to remind you that you could visit Della's company, find out more about them, metame.com. And uh, all the show notes are at outcomesrocket.health. Just type in Della, D-E-L-E. You'll find that there. Della, thanks for, for being with us today. Thank you very much as well. So very, it was a great pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.